Thanks, Marianne. I appreciate that. Thanks, team. Thanks. I want to just say thank you to Malcolm and Sandy because, you know, I've been away for two weeks and, you know, they take the responsibility and the authority and in the church and, and all of it happening. And thanks, guys. We just appreciate you. are the best backstops in the world. Yeah. And that's not because he got me here to clap before. I just, I just wanted you to know we, I appreciate you guys. And appreciate the team, Kate and Jeff, all the team, Jeff, Fiona, the office, and while I'm away. I'd love to just turn uh, to uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8 this morning, and we'll put it up on the screen. But please look at your own um, electronic device or your own Bible, please, this morning. But Philippians, for those who haven't got it, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8. I just want to talk about what consumes your mind controls your life. <laughs> That's true, isn't it? What consumes your mind controls your life. Uh, I want to read this. Philippians chapter 2, 5 and 8. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Who was in who? Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to talk in the next three verses, a little bit almost abstract. If you've ever read this passage of Scripture and gone, What is that saying? Um, you can join me. Is that okay? Because uh, you know, many times I've read it and thought, really, what is that saying? Thank you, Dale. Because it, it just seems a little bit abstract in what is being said. But it says, he, uh, sorry, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross, which uh, Marianne so aptly shared with us this morning in relation to communion. Um, there's a lot in those passages, but as I said, you can read them and go, what is that really saying? And what in the world is it saying about our mind? And, 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 and thus the reference to my title, What Consumes My Mind Controls My Life. Um, like... Uh, most of us here today, nearly all of us would be very aware of the fact that on Friday night, uh, Saturday, uh, some 24 hours ago or a bit longer, there's been attack on Paris and uh, I've got these 128 people have been killed. That's the, this morning's news. 128 people have been killed. Um, some uh, 200 have been injured, 100, sorry, 500 injured, 100 of them are in a, a critical way. Um, and, you know, as we read that, I'll, I'll be totally honest, um, I'm surprised that I'm not surprised as much as I should be. Do you ever get that feeling? I think, oh, why am I not? This is shocking. This, I've been to Paris, and it's a beautiful city, um, and uh, this is just a terrible act of what we call act of, what do they call it today? Terrorism. And, you know, precious lives, innocent people lost. And I was just, and, I, and I, my prayer to God is, God, let me never become um, uh, just uh, blasé about such cruelty. Because it's just, it's not fair, it's not right, it's nothing, is it? But there's a lot of things in life like that. But as I was contemplating this latest act that's happened in our world today, I was contemplating the reality that back in 1913, back to 1919, there was another war, and it was called the First World War. And that war was fought over land. And then there was another war that started in 1939 to 1945, it finished. And it was the Second World War. And it was fought on the 
in that whole part of France and Europe and Germany and Britain and both of those wars were located in the same act where this uh, act of terrorism or this war is being outplayed today. It's a modern war, isn't it? And the reality is those two world wars were based around possession of land. What we see today with what's happening in the world is is it's, it's not so much, I'm sure that this group of people who have these, these um, want to kill people, uh, want to take land, they want to have more land. Syria, obviously, is where they want to start. But really, it's not a battle over pr- property or taking land. It's a, it's a battle about ideologies. Isn't that right? It's a, it's a battle of a group of people who have an ideology about what they want to see happen in the world. And you can't see a war like that, can you? Because we can't see into the hearts of men and women, can we? You can't physically locate it. Where really is it happening? Because it, the war, the, the struggle and the, and the thoughts and the, where this war, uh, this act of terrorism and this war on terrorism is happening, it's in the hearts and lives of people. And you can't see it so much. You can't pinpoint it. You can't say this is what it's all about because it's difficult to do that. Where World War One, World War Two was all about taking of property and land, this one isn't so much. And the thing that I want to say is, you see, the thing is, I believe the battle today really isn't in the physical so much as in our minds. Is it? You can't see today's battle. It's not a, even though the enemy wants your soul. The enemy wants to destroy your life. He wants to take over your life. The way he does that is he does it through our thoughts. He does it through our mind. And so just as this war, this war of terrorism is happening, um, and you can't really nail it down, you can't pinpoint it. The thing is, it's the same with what happens in our lives. Sometimes it's the battle we can't see, but it's the battle that still rages. And it's in our minds. Because our mind is the breeding ground for every good thought and even bad thought. It's that battle that rages. It's the thing that happens. And um, I would suggest to you the real war that we face is right here. And uh, you know your thoughts because I don't know them. Only you and God know them. You and God are the only ones who know what you do in private and in public. You know and they, God knows. And so there's the battle. But every action starts with a thought, doesn't it? Every doing starts with something happening up here and so that's why Paul continually talks about having the mind of Christ he talks in Romans he writes the letter to the Romans and he says come on in 12 2, be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind here's a great verse we'll just flick this one over like that and we might have to put it on automatic so I can get it but it says in Romans, don't, don't conform to the pattern, but be transformed. The New Living Translation says this, let God transform the way you think. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Did you know God wants to transform the way you think this morning? There's not one of us who aren't up for it because, oh, by the way, I forgot. Young people, you can be released. My apologies, Heather. All the young people who are going to Heather's. YPs, the Young People's Group, you can go. My apologies, I was supposed to release them. We'll close our eyes so no one's embarrassed. Everybody close their eyes. All the young people can now go on. They're all kind of going. Okay, my apologies, my apologies. Malcolm told me too and I forgot. I got so wrapped up in my thoughts. It's not your fault, it's my fault. 
Okay, so it's pretty clear God wants to transform and he doesn't, he wants to transform you through this incredible thing he's given us called our mind, our thought life. He wants to transform us that. And you know, that's why the outward transformation, you know, that sometimes people really long for, we got all these television shows, oh, I just, you know, I think they're fantastic, you know, lose weight, gain weight, whatever you want to do, put muscle on, take muscle off. You got, there's shows for everything today, isn't there? But the truth is, it's really the outward is not so important as the inward. Would you agree? And the mind that we have. And so, and in our thoughts, that's where the hopelessness and the panic and the grief and the fear and the depression and the lusts and all those things come from, and we've got to deal with it. So in the light of that, out of this passage of, uh, out of, this passage of Scripture that we have up here in Philippians 2, 5 and 8, I want to just uh, bring you this morning some incredible thoughts because the question has to be asked, what is the mind of Christ like? Have you ever thought that? What is Christ's mind? What does he, how does he, how did he live life on this earth and how does he still continue to function and think? Because if we can grab, I mean, Jesus Christ was perfect. If I could grab what his thought, how he does process thoughts in life, man, that'd be fantastic. And so that's why Paul says, let's, let's, this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let's go there this morning. And I want to uh, just turn to this first verse and verse six out of that passage. And verse 6 says, being in the form of God, uh, that's Jesus, Jesus being in the form of God, Jesus did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Okay, now that's interesting. What does that really mean? Let's go to another uh, translation. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling, come on, that he had to actually cling to, that, to the advantage of that status no matter what. Okay, let me read it again. He he had equal position or status with God, but didn't so much think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantage of that position no matter what. If we would go back to that original verse, it says robbery. Robbery is an interesting word because robbery means he did not consider it something to be held onto to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus saw his being God. Just hang in there with me on this little bit of theology because it'll get better. But Jesus saw his being God as, some, being God as not something to, be, uh, as something to be given away. Jesus says, well, I am, I have got all that God is. I am God, but I'm totally man, totally God. But it's not something for me to hang on to. I'm willing to give it away if I have to. If God says to me, give it up, I'll give it away. In actual fact, Jesus, in a sense, when he went to the cross, had to give away his godliness and take up humanity to die like a human being to identify with humanity. So we see that God, in this robbery thing, in, in other words, he was saying, um, I'm willing to give it up. I'm not going to hold on to it. I'm not going to make it my little baby and say, well, I'm God and whatever I, you know, I says goes. And, and, you know, this is my... See, and surely God's attribute of deity, surely Jesus' attribute of deity, that is God, Godness, surely it was the most important thing in his whole life, wasn't it? That he, he not only um, come from God, but he is God on earth. Surely that was something for him to hang on to and never give up. But you know what? He said, even that I'm willing, if God wants me to, to give that up. And that's what he did really in coming to earth. So Jesus was saying this, what defines me, listen, what defines me is not wrapped up in my status or my position or title. Did you grab that? What defines me is not wrapped up in my position, my title, or who, who I am in that way. 
But I want to tell you what really defines Jesus. What defined him was not what he had, but who he had. I'll say it again. It's not defined in his position. It's defined in knowing his heavenly father. And whatever his heavenly father said was good enough for him. And the more that he knew his heavenly father, that was what, the more he was defined by his heavenly father, the more he had security in that. But when, if he was going to be defined by a position, and we know that when you have to hold on to a position or you have to hold on to a title, you have to hold on to something that you think, oh, I've got, I deserve it, you know that that's starting, that thing is starting to define you. And that's not what you need to be defined by. And in our mind, we've got to be careful what defines us. Because your position, your title will never define you. Uh, Jesus says, I lay it down at my Father's feet for him to do as he wills. And Paul says, have the mind of Christ. So God wants us to have that same mind, to be able to lay down the things of this world that want to define us and say, that's what you are. Do you know that this morning, I'm not a pastor to God. Now I am, but that's my title but if that's what defines me this morning, it's just me being a pastor, heaven help this church. Because if I don't know my God, I'm never going to do any great exploits. If all I'm ever going to be is a pastor, and I've got to hang on to that position with all my whole heart, oh, you know, man, that is sad. Because that can never define me. What's going to define me is what, knowing my God, not, you know, not, in other words, here's the, the two words I want you to remember, it's not position, it's possession. In other words, it's not your position that defines you, it's your possession of God that defines you. How much of God have you got a hold of today? In actual fact, how much of God has got a hold of you? Because that is what defines you. People say, um, um, it, it, it's always been church. And, I, I, and I, this has been one of my favorite verses of the year. The Bible's all my favorite, but to, just you know what I mean. In, in, in Acts chapter 17, 28, it's, it, it really is in Him we do live. And it really is in Him we do move. And it really is in Him that we have our being. It really is. It really has to be. It has to be. The biggest struggles that we have is our understanding of what defines us when you can see it really is in him and it's not your position your title or anything else or your good looks or whatever looks you think you have that you realize that does not define you you know in the philippines i was just reminded and, and my filipino brothers and sisters will understand this and so will australians understand this but i was reminded again as i am every time but i'd forgotten it you know that filipinos believe white is beautiful so when they see Lydia walk into their mist and she's got this white skin, and they all want to be white. Is that true, my Filipinas? It's true, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, you know, and, and you know, when you buy a bar of Dove soap over there, it's got whitening in it. And when you get whitening cream, and you know, you walk. And when you walk into um, the toilet block of a of a of a mall in Manila, and you see a young man putting whitening cream all over his face, and scrubbing it in, and then washing it off because he wants to be whiter, you know that they really want to be white. And what do Australians want to be? What do we do in the solariums? And what do we do with tanning creams? We want to be. So why don't we just swap places this morning? 
What? Look at this beautiful, everybody wants to be like this. And, and the white Australians want to be like my brother here, all beautiful and brown and olive. Who's right? Is it white or is it brown that's beautiful? Both. Oh, thank you, Lord. What defines us? Is it position, title, or how we look this morning? It's in Him we live and move and have our being. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. We have a perception. There's a perception. See, I know you say amen and I say amen, but there's a working, getting this out of our minds that we've got to continually get rid of, isn't it? Because advertising pushes it all the time, both in this country and in other countries, Philippines or wherever. You know, status, position, how you look. Status, position, it's advertised everywhere. And see, there's a perception. It's just... It, you know, it's, I, I, it's easy for me to go, amen, yes, I agree with what I'm preaching, but I've got to get rid of the because the perception is that, we, that our status and title and looks and abilities define who we are, and it's not true. See, this is why uh, I love examine your heart and say, God, is there any of those things really wanted to, am I allowing them to define me? Because if I'm allowing them to define me, that won't hold water in the end, it won't it won't hold up for the rest of your life. It's in really in God that we've got to be defined. And it's a perception that we've got to get rid of. Perception is powerful because we're bombarded by it. And the truth is, I walk into the day and I'm going through the mall like you're going through. And I see a, a guy six foot six with muscles on his muscles. And I'm thinking, wow, if only I could look like that. Now, I don't literally say that, but you think that. And you, you think, oh, come out of it. It doesn't matter what you look like, really. Because the percept, the world, that's why Paul says in Romans chapter 12, be not conformed to the world. Don't let us squash you in your mold, but be renewed by your mind, by the renewing of your mind. The perception that we have to destroy the perception. And the Bible says that we can do it through the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, because he, the same power that raised Christ from the dead can raise us up from our old ways as well. The same power. I tell you, we need that power. The power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. Our accomplishments, our achievements, our abilities, they're all wonderful things, but they can never hold the weight of your living and why you live. They're good things. Your achievements are wonderful. May they be celebrated. May your abilities be celebrated. Um, all those wonderful things. And we celebrate people with, you know, oh, she's pretty or he's handsome. That's wonderful. But in the end, realize that it will never really define you. It can't define you. Don't allow the perception to rule in your heart. Would you agree? Amen. Don't allow it to rule. I just, you know, um, when I, two years ago, I mentioned that Tark Loban, that big city, closer to 400,000 people in Tarkloban, and you know that on the island of Leyte, which is kind of just, it's a couple islands south of Manila, on the island that Manila is on, and you know two years ago for last weekend that 
uh, typhoon, super typhoon, went through and just destroyed that whole area. Pastor Margaret Pashley, of course, was in that area and lost all the roofs on her house at the center for change, the orphanage that she runs. Thankfully, none of her team, none of her families were hurt or killed in any way. I think one little girl got a cut foot from corrugated iron. But the, I, I share this with you. So Tarkloban was wiped out by the, by the wind, and then the, they, call it, they call it a, a storm surge came, and I stood on the bank of where that's, and watched across the bay between Samar and Leyte where that storm surge came. And they said three waves hit them. Three waves. Um, they were about as tall as, what's that? Probably about here. That's about um, five, six meters, say, six or seven meters. And one after another, these waves just come through and, and just destroyed house after house. And I saw houses that had been destroyed and I saw s- some sites and... And, you know, I talked to people, pastors and people who had gone through that. And, and I talked to Pastor Joel where we had our first set of meetings in, in the, in the um, province of Tanawan, just outside of Tarkloban. And he, he said he was with his two daughters when that wave hit. They'd already kind of lost the roof of the house. And he was with his two daughters. And um, his wife was in Samar, so she was away from the, tra- the problem area. And uh, as the water rose, he, they, they grabbed onto the rafters of their house. And the water just rose further and further. And they said, God, if this water rises any further, we're going to drown. And thankfully, it was about 13 feet. They talk in feet over there. And thankfully, after about 15 minutes, it just went to this level. And then they just had enough air to breathe. And then the water went down. And you know, um, such resilience in some of these precious Filipino people. I've never seen the likes of it. Such resilience. And he shares with a smile. And you know, I was just thinking... When we go through problems, when we go through struggles, that's, the, that's really the time it shows what defines us. You will discover what, if you've ever wondered what defines you, what really defines you, you'll find out through the struggle of life, through the pressure, through the bad things that happen. And many, I just, uh, you know, as I talk to people over there and I see them and they say, yeah, we had family members die and we nearly drowned, but you know what? Our God is able. And they lift their finger to heaven and say, God brought us through. And it just inspired me. And you know, sometimes what really defines us, we'll discover what defines us in the times of struggle and trouble. And if, it's def- and if what our position and title define us. Because when that wave and when that um, typhoon went through, everybody who had whatever status, position, whatever, it, it meant nothing, folks. After 24 hours after, after that, when you've got the rich lying with the poor, dead, drowned. And Pastor Joel was telling me he, the day after, he walked 10 kilometers. Because everybody is just in shock. The day after it hit, he walked 10 kilometers to a fuel station to get some fuel for his motorbike, to put in his motorbike so he could take his two girls down to Samar to get them out of the disaster zone so he could come back and... And he says, as he walked, he just saw body after body being put on the side of the road. He saw 150 bodies in one, just in, that, in one section. Now, when that happens in your life, everybody's on the same. It's a level playing field, isn't it? Whether you're rich or poor or whatever. And that's what really discovers what defines you. It's not status or position or what you have or when you haven't. Because they had nothing left. Nothing left. And what defines you in those moments when you've got nothing left? 
Maybe we've never in Australia will we'll ever have that happen, that we'll have nothing left. Only four walls and the roof is gone. So, you know, I want to encourage us this morning. It's in Him we live and move. And it's the perception that we've got to destroy. We've got to get rid of the perception of, of, of our mindsets. Let's move on this morning. The second, Philippians 2.7 says this, But made himself, Jesus, of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. There we go. What's happening? The word made is a Greek word right there, but it's a Greek word, but made, which means to empty. So Jesus quite literally emptied himself of no reputation, and we can say he emptied himself of his privileges. Jesus emptied himself of his privileges. Christ literally said, it's um, my privileges. I, if God so will it, I've got no privileges. No, I might be the son of God. I might be God in the flesh. But I, I, I just want you to know, this is the mindset that I've got. I don't want to take up those privileges until God directs me. I've got no privileges. He had the opportunity to be God, but he put it aside. His privileges, he put the privileges aside to fulfill the purpose. And this is what I don't want. In your mind, we've got to be careful that we don't mix up privilege with purpose. And when we allow our privileges to be the focus of our life, we'll lose where we should be really going in life. When we get so focused on, well, I've got this position, this title, this is what I do, I'm privileged. Of course you're privileged. We're all privileged, but we've got to be willing to give up the privilege and say, because I really want to fulfill the purpose. In actual fact, I've discovered in life, until I have to give up the privileges sometimes to fulfill the purpose. And it's a mindset. Because if you walk around through life saying, man, I've got many privileges and that everything owes me and that I've put hard work in and that's what I should get. Now you may get it and you may have privileges, but don't live with the mindset of this is what I deserve. Do you know what I'm saying this morning? It's yielding up because I've discovered many good people make it to the top of life in their jobs. And unfortunately, all the privileges come with the job and that's what they become focused on and they lose the purpose of why they really started the job in the first place. So the purpose, so here's my point. Not privilege, but purpose. Jesus had many privileges. He was the son of God, but he was willing to give it up. He was willing to empty himself to become all that uh, God wanted him to come. So here's a struggle we can have in our minds. It's the ability to give up the privileges to fulfill the purpose. Um, does that make sense? As a father, if you're a father here today, it's interesting, but you know you're a father. You earn the right to, for your children to respect you. Your children should obey you. You, you're the dad who needs to make decisions. You expect to have a good sleep every night because you've worked hard. But here's the truth of the matter. Every dad, when they have little babies, has had to find. They have to empty themselves as the privilege as a father to be a true father. Because if you don't empty yourself of your privileges, you won't be a true father to that child. Because dad, sometimes you won't get a full night's sleep. You need to help your wife and you've got to get up to a crying baby. And all the new dad said... It's your time to go, amen, Ryan, or Tristan, or someone like that. Amen. You're tired, yeah, yeah. Can you see? What if Tristan was to say, I'm sorry, Tanya, I'm the father, I've got to go to work. Uh, you get up every night. Now, he may say that, I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but the reality is, reality is, to be a true dad, you've got to get down in the dirt with your kids. And you know, and you live the Christian life. 
There's many privileges, peace and joy and happiness. The fruit of the Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all those things. But you know what the truth is, is that if we just say, well, that's the, I've made it. No, no, no. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. Those things come as a result of being in Him. Amen? And we give up the privileges to serve Him. You know, um, we give up the privileges of dad. If I was, I mean, I picked on dads, but mothers, my goodness, you give up so many privileges. You give up the privilege of being, you know, just a normal size. You have to go to a size 20 when you're pregnant. You know, all those things. And that's all good, isn't it? Mothers enjoy that, I think. (laughs) You give up the privileges. As I spoke to people in the Philippines, I just saw how they gave up many privileges. Pastor Joel, with a big smile on his face, his, his, his major saying at the morning, the, at the moment is, I'm good, I'm blessed. Every time we greet him, he says, and we say, how are you, Pastor Joel? He says, I'm good, I'm blessed. Could I say that after what he's been through? Do you know he wore the same set of clothes for two weeks? Because <laughs> every other clothes was just all, all mud or lost or f- went away with the water. He said, I used to wash it every couple of days, but you know, you had to find a place to try and hide and wash your clothes at the same time. He's laughing about this. He said, do you know I didn't eat for, he didn't, he didn't share it as a burden. He just told us the facts. He said, I didn't eat for three days, but he said there was 350,000 people who'd hardly ate for three days until supplies got through and some rice. And then their staple diet was rice, as their staple diet is always rice, but that's all they had. And you know, they didn't have the bits of fish to go with it and the chicken. They just ate rice another couple of weeks after that. And that saw them through. He was looking a little slimmer, I must admit. You know, but he, he, he had to give up he, he, the privilege of his position as a pastor. He had to give up the privileges of, of all that, had, that he'd had before. Um, do you know that he was telling us an incredible miracle? When he walked to get that petrol... Um, he walked back, he put his girls on the motorbike, he had to travel 150 kilometers into Samar on a little like, like 110cc motorbike with two girls, 20-year-old girl and his 12-year-old girl. And he rode 100, he filled that petrol tank with a prayer. He said, Lord, in the name of Jesus, just multiply this fuel because I don't think I can make it on that. He went all the way into Samar and all the way back on one fuel tank. And when he got back, he opened the lid and he could still see fuel in there. He says, God, that's a miracle. <laughs> It's a miracle. <laughs> he couldn't. He didn't have, you know, all the finance. Ma- matter of fact, the fuel stations, um, you know, had been destroyed as well. And so, you know, he gave up the privileges of his position. He gave up the privileges and rights, and he said, "God, everything was stripped back to bear." And you know, when everything is stripped back and you've got nothing else, where what will define you, and where will you? privileges be then it's not about privilege it's about you fulfill the purpose he said i had purpose in my life and his purpose was to pastor joel said was to serve god and i was and that's what i held on to i was still there as a pastor you know and i was still there as a uh, sorry that's all gone blank i'll let you fix it so you know we see um god says it's not the privileges it's the purpose here's the last and final thought philippians 2 8 let me go to there this is the last verse in philippians i, I read this morning it says and being found this is jesus being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death of the what the cross how does jesus face 
the humanity and the cruelty of the cross. How in the world does a man, I know he's totally God, but he's totally man as well. He's God-man in that sense. How does he face the cruelty of the cross? How does he face the whipping and the beard pulling and, and the, and the, to the point where his ribs were revealed through the back because his skin had been so um, uh, you know, slashed from his back? How did he cope with it being nailed um, through the wrists and then through the feet? How do you cope with that? Do you, you know, because if, the, if it was all about the consequences of his death, he, he probably wouldn't have done it, you know, um, maybe. Because he did say to God at one stage in the garden, Gee, God, if it's not your will, let me not let this cup pass from me. He was feeling the humanity of it, wasn't he? He was feeling the cruelty of knowing what was about to happen to him, you know, to... to bleed sweats of blood would have to mean there was some element of stress in your life would you agree so how did he cope with the consequences of the cross and all that happened before the cross how did he cope with that i want to tell you he had a mindset that it wasn't about the consequences of life it was about um it was about the conviction in his heart so he all the consequences he was able to bear because he had a conviction and this is the conviction he had, that for the joy that was set before him, he was going to endure the cross and the shame and uh, it sat down in heaven with his father because he knew it wasn't about the consequences, it was about the conviction in his heart. And there's a mindset that we need to have, family, and the mindset is that you can live by your circumstances and let them buffet you and push you every way, which shape and form. But I tell you, in the end, whatever comes against you, have you got a conviction that my God can rule and my God is able to bring me through? Have you got that conviction this morning? Because that's what you'll need in the difficult times. And it's a mindset that we need to embrace. Amen? Jesus humbled himself. And said, I know what I'm about to face, but I'm going to face it, not looking at the circumstances, but living with the conviction that for the joy that's set before me. What was the joy? The joy was 200 people sitting in church on a Sunday morning like right now. Worshipping God. That was the joy that Jesus saw. Millions upon millions of people around this world who will worship God on a Sunday today. He says, that's the joy. I'm going to go through this because of the joy I, I can see in the future. And one day I'm going to be seated with my Heavenly Father, not too many days from now. I'm going to be seated and I'm going to be up there. Once again, I just draw upon my conversation with Pastor Joel and even Pastor Margaret, far out. Did you know that Pastor Joel said, you know, unfortunately, and he says, I don't judge them, I understand, but some pastors left the area, left Laity. And the reason they left is too much tragedy there. Some of them lost their family members. Pastor Joel didn't lose his family members. Pastor Margaret didn't lose any of the kids in the, in the orphanage or the, her workers. But the truth is, Joel, Pastor Joel said to me, he says, why should I leave now? I've got this great opportunity to reach and, and minister and love people. And you know what? He's built 30 houses for other people. Pastor Margaret built 120 houses. But he, with no, you know, just with a bit of support here, he's built 30 houses. And he physically got out there and dug the holes and helped with his parishioners in his church and built houses for people. He says, what an opportunity. Do you know that he's had, in two years, he's extended his church because he just can't fit all the people in. They are overflowing out of his building. 
What's he doing? He said, he, he, saw, he saw the consequences and the loss of life and the heartache and the pain. And he could have walked away from that like other pastors did. And I don't judge them wrongly because I don't know what happened in their life for them to walk away. But there must have been a lot of pain, emotional pain. He said, no, this is an opportunity. And I'm going to stay here. I'm going to rebuild, rebuild parts of our church, rebuild our house. And I believe God's going to do a mighty thing. And right now, he's been reaping for the last two years as he's continued to sow. And I'm thankful for a man and woman, his wife, Rebecca, that didn't say, I'm not gonna, we're not going to live by circumstances. We're going to live by conviction, a conviction that God wants to do something strong here. Amen? And in your heart, don't allow the circumstance to buffet you, that you lose your conviction. I'm going to stand strong. It's a mindset that we need to have. Behind everything you do, church, there's a thought. There's a thought. Behind every action, there's a thought that started it all happening. Just imagine this morning you're in a big boat, you know, maybe a big fishing boat. And you've got the autopilot on and the autopilot is heading this direction. But the truth is, you don't want to go this direction. So with autopilot still on, you manually take hold of that wheel in that boat and you turn it to the left the truth is you've got to hold on to it to keep it there and the boat will divert to the left but the thing is you get tired of holding that wheel down to the left and 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 and, and you just think oh i can't do this and as soon as you let go of the wheel what does the boat do it diverts back to the course it was going before the autopilot will automatically take it there i want to say sometimes in our mind we can be like that you could just be pulling for a while you can pull on that wheel and say i'm in my own strength and power i'm going to pull on this wheel and i'm going to make my life go this way and life goes well but then because the thing in your heart hasn't been dealt with as soon as you let go and your willpower stops, it diverts back to the old mindset. Who's ever experienced that? I have. It just diverts back. So the first option is your own willpower. You can't change the course of the boat. What you need is you need God's power, God's touch, God's anointing, God's life, God's life in our lives, His Holy Spirit. That's what we need, I tell you. And we need His Word. He said, how can a young man or a young, how can a person, how can a person cleanse their way by taking heed according to your word? Psalm 119 verse 9. So we take God's promises, we take God's word, and we start to live it out. It's not, it, we start to live, not just my title, not my position, but my possession of God and his possession of me. Not, not, just, not just the living for my privileges now, but not losing sight of the goal, but living for the purpose continually, having a mindset for that. Not just, not just living by consequences, because, you know, consequences happen all the time, don't they? Someone cuts in front of you, your car runs out of fuel, I don't know, your dog dies. Things happen, don't they? They're not nice, but don't live, but there's still a conviction. Just because, you know, the truth is, if, if you have a little tiff with your wife or with your husband this morning, you're going to say, well, that's it had enough of you, you're, gonna, you're not going to agree with me, I'm out of here, no, you don't do that, you've got a conviction that I'm to be married to this person, amen? I hope so, anyway. <laughs> Just because the boss comes and says, well, you didn't do that well and you need to sort that out, you say, well, you know, you can have your job, I'm out of here. No, have a conviction, hey, I've got to do better next time. 
They say, well, hey, 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 I've been here for three months. I have privileges. You can't treat me like that. He'll say, yes, I can. I'm the boss. You know, so the Bible says in Romans 8, 6, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. If, if your mind is controlled by your flesh, and believe me, our mind, our flesh always wants to control our mind, but we need to be controlled by the Spirit. And the power of, that raised Christ from the dead is the same power available to us, His power. And so it's not willpower that you're going to turn that steering wheel. What you've got to do is you've got to turn off the autopilot and destroy the autopilot and say, I don't need the autopilot. I'm going to have the God pilot. You see, sometimes what happens in our lives is we use God as the spare wheel when it should be the steering wheel. And when the problem comes, we get the spare wheel out and we change the tire. And when the problem comes, we get God out and we run into Him. But when the problem is over and finished with, we sometimes take it off and put it back in the boot and we take control again. And God says, no, no, no. He's not the spare wheel. God is the steering wheel. He wants to control your life. He wants to, and he controls it to give us blessing and peace and a hope. He wants to, he wants to, to destroy the lusts in your life, the sin in our life. He wants to, his power is able to destroy those things, the grief and the pain. His, his power, his Holy Ghost, his presence through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen this morning. How about today? We have a, you know, as I've said before, and just let him Give us a check up from the neck up. Allow the Holy Spirit just to say more of Him. We were singing about it, weren't we? More of Him in our lives. More of Him to be out of the power. Because you can't do it in your own willpower. Who's worked that one out yet? We need Him. We need Him so much. How about we stand this morning as we close the service? Not my power, His power. We're going to sing the song in a moment. And I just want to ask you this morning, do you just need, you know, sometimes just get dry. We just need, you know, dry and like, oh, where are you? And we just need to say, Father, afresh, your touch. Your touch. Your power in my life. If you just need that fresh Saying, Father, more of you today in my life. See, I, I, I do believe that we've got to go home and live it out every week. But I do believe in the in God encounters as well. And that God encounters us and he can bring a shift in our hearts. A shift away from that fear or that grief or that issue. And a shift in his way and looking at him. You know, just a fresh touch today. Say, Father, just more of you. Maybe that's all you need is just more of him. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe that He wants to anoint your life and touch your life. And this morning, if you would desire prayer just for more of Him, more of His presence, something, maybe today you just need to surrender something today. Say, Father, here it is. I just want to invite you out the front that we just lay hands and pray. Believe God's touch on lives. And I want, if you're going to come, um, I just want people to come and stand behind and believe with us. Because sometimes we can just get negative in life. 
Sometimes we just get so bent on all the bad stuff, and, it, and, and it's not your fault necessarily, but it just wants to pull you down. Sometimes we just need a fresh touch of His presence. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. And sometimes I find that joy is missing. God's touch upon our lives this morning. I'd love to just pray with you this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit's here. wants to touch your life. Bring it, not just an information today, but a transformation. Father, we thank you today. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this meeting. And we invite you, Father, just to put your hand upon our hearts and upon our minds. And we just know if it's more of you that we need, just let's have the conviction to step out of where we stand today and go, yes, more of you, Father. More of you. I need strength. I I want you just to come this morning as we sing this song. And I want to just pray with you. I want to lay hands on you this morning. Let God have his way. It's him, not me, of course, but it's him. Come on, let's just sing this song this morning.